For our scripture reading and text this, this morning, we'll turn to Ephesians 3. Our text will be in verses 14 through 21, but we'll read the whole chapter for context. This chapter can be a bit difficult to follow, but Paul's main point is to glory in God's grace that he brought the Gentiles into the flock. So Ephesians 3, and I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open afterwards for the sermon as well. Ephesians 3, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And this is our text now. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to, exceeding, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that, it, that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So far. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has there ever been a time in your life when you've wondered whether you reached the limit of God's patience? A time when you felt that you had crossed a tipping point, a point of no return, that your sin was just too much for His love? 
We might wonder that because that is often how it works in our relationships, isn't it? There comes a point where repeated betrayal and hurt cross a line. And then the relationship doesn't survive. So we might wonder, does it work the same way with God? Can our sin be too much? Well, when we come to Ephesians 3 and to our text, we see that when we look for such a limit for a tipping point, for a point of no return, then God's love is without measure. That the love of Christ has no end. Paul's prayer is that the Ephesians would come to know this love more and more, and that through it, they might be transformed themselves. So the theme for this morning is Paul prays that the church might, be strength, might have the strength to love. We'll see first a prayer for strength and, and then praise for the one who strengthens. So first we'll see Paul's prayer for strength. It begins with, for this reason I bow my knees. In the chapters before our text, Paul has been speaking at great length about God's love and grace to believers, of his mercy for our salvation. And in chapter 2, Paul speaks in particular about how God had brought the Gentiles into the flock, joining them as one body with the Jews. And then following that, at the beginning of chapter 3, we read that Paul is going to pray. It says there, For this reason I, Paul, but then he, he breaks off. In the Greek, it stops abruptly. Yes, Paul stops and then he speaks even more about his glorious task to bring this gospel to the Gentiles. So up to this point in the book, Paul has been putting God's grace and love on display. And now when we come to our text, we see the same words, for this reason I bow my knees. Yes, because all that God has powerfully worked in the Ephesians Paul now records his prayer for them. He prays on their behalf, and that prayer is our text for this morning. He prays, first of all, to the Father. The Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This isn't an easy phrase to translate or understand, but Paul is actually making a play on words here. The word for family is very similar to that of father, And so Paul says every family derives its name from the Father. And his point is to exalt the Father's greatness. That this isn't just any Father, but the Father of all. The Creator from whom every family and relationship in heaven and earth gets its name. So we pray to our Father as His children. And just like we confess in the Catechism, That means we can approach him freely and confidently as his children. While at the same time, we are approaching the Father of all, the Father Almighty who is all-powerful and sovereign from whom all things come. And so in this way, Paul begins his prayer. He prays that God would grant the Ephesians to be strengthened by God's might and power and the riches of his glory. Yes, that they would be strengthened by God through His Spirit in the inner man, in the inner beings of His readers. 
So Paul is praying here for an inner strength. For what purpose? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Paul isn't talking here about the moment of being saved when Christ came to dwell in us, which is something permanent. No, Paul is referring to the degree that Christ is in our hearts, the degree to which he is the center of our lives. So to summarize that, Paul's prayer is that by God's power, the Ephesians would receive inner strength so that Christ would be at home in their hearts more and more the center of who they are. And taking a step back at this point, we can also see the work of the Trinity here. Paul is asking the Father to strengthen his readers by the Spirit so that the Son may dwell in their hearts. And what a glorious thing that is to have the Trinity, the triune God at work in us. All of who God is working in our hearts. Well, Paul's prayer then goes on in verse 17. And the sentences are a bit hard to follow here. But we should realize that in this prayer, Paul isn't just giving a list of things that he prays for to the Ephesians. Like a prayer list. No, this whole prayer is building up to a climax. Paul is going to come to one central thing. It's like a staircase climbing higher and higher with each verse. So that there's a reason why Paul prays for an inner strength. It's so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. But he isn't there yet. His purpose for his wanting Christ to dwell in their hearts is what comes next. Paul says, I pray this for you, that you who are being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is really dragging this out. So let's stay with him. We might wonder, what love is he talking about here? What love are we rooted and grounded in? In the first chapter of the letter, Paul said that he had heard of the Ephesians' faith and love for all the saints. So it could be the love that the Ephesians have shown. But reading the rest of the letter will show that their love finds its basis and its source in God's love for them. So it was out of love that God chose them and predestined them. It was out of love that He redeemed them and sealed them with His Holy Spirit. That He made them alive and raised them up with Christ. Yes, the, yes, the Ephesian church has been rooted and grounded in this love. This is their strong foundation and the soil in which the seed of their faith has grown and has been planted. So Paul prays that God would strengthen their faith so that Christ would dwell more richly in their hearts so that, verse 18, they might be able or strong enough to comprehend what is the width and length and depth and height of Christ's love. Yes, Paul's prayer in our text is that the Ephesians would become fully capable of understanding and knowing Christ's love. That's a big prayer. Paul prays that they would be, become able to know Christ's love, which we read in verse 19 is a love that passes knowledge. 
It's a love that's beyond knowing. So much so that you can't measure it. You can't comprehend its dimensions or depth. The more we see of this love, the more we're amazed. It's like if you've ever driven west and you see the mountains for the first time on the horizon and being awestruck how big they are. Only to realize as you keep driving that you hadn't even come close to grasping their size. You would be that much more awestruck. So in the same way, the more that Christ dwells in our hearts, the more that we grasp how big his his love really is, the bigger and bigger it appears. And so Paul prays that by the power of God, his readers might begin to comprehend it all. Paul has spent the first few chapters telling the Ephesians about Christ's love. And now he prays that they would experience it and know it for themselves more and more, this love of Christ. Now we don't need to become too literal about giving meaning to these measurements and dimensions that Paul gives. His point is that Christ's love is vast. But one theologian puts it well. The love of Christ, he says, is wide enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for an eternity. Christ's love is high enough to exalt him to heaven. And it's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. What a love that Christ has shown to us. Our fallen, limited minds try to insist that surely there's a limit. A point where this love runs dry. Where we push it too far with our sin. But no, God reveals that this is an ocean of love without bottom or shore. Nothing else is that big except God himself. His love is expansive as he is. Christ doesn't simply have love for us. He is love. We read, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. We also read in Job, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Well, we know so much longer after Job that there is no greater mystery than this. No greater depth and measurement to God is there than this. Christ's love for us even while we were still sinners. And so we see that Together with all the saints, Paul's prayer is that his readers would come to know and experience and grasp this great love of Christ. So maybe now is a good time to ask ourselves, how much do you grasp this love for you? Are we continually plumbing its depths and growing in understanding of its vastness? Is Christ's love something that you know and experience for yourself, or is it Simply a list of events in the Bible that you can recite. Do you believe in your heart that this love is truly without measure? Or have you, in your mind, put a limit to Christ's love? That when you fall into that sin one more time, that you reach the end? 
Well, maybe Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is one that we need to pray for ourselves more often. That we might have the power together with all the saints to grasp how great this love of Christ is. But how wonderful it would be if this was also our prayer for our brothers and sisters, like Paul did for the Ephesians. How beautiful it would be if this is what the body of Christ prayed for each other on behalf of each other. Yes, may we all seek to know more and more this love that surpasses knowing. And yet this isn't the top of the stairway yet. This isn't the extent of Paul's prayer. It's not the purpose or the reason. Paul's prayer is for more. And that's because it's not an end in itself just to have knowledge of Christ's love. No, the reason Paul prays that they would begin to grasp and know Christ's immeasurable love for them is in verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is bigger. The stairway has gone higher. Paul's prayer is that his readers might be filled with the fullness which fills God himself. His perfection. To be filled with God's character. Not just an attribute or a gift or even being filled with love or knowledge. But rather the fullness of God. You see, this is the result of and the purpose of knowing Christ's love for us. In the next few chapters of Ephesians, Paul is about to exhort the Ephesians to be obedient. He's going to list a whole lot of do this and don't do that. And so his prayer before he comes to these commands is that having been rooted and grounded in love themselves, comprehending with all the saints the wonders of Christ's love, that now the Ephesians would be filled up with God's very character. To be perfect as he is perfect and holy as he is holy. And that's because obedience doesn't start with a list of rules. It doesn't start with the Ten Commandments. No, even the commandments which we read this morning start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. There's his love for his people. I am the Lord your God who sent my son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. I am the Lord your God whose love knows no bounds. Yes, this is where obedience starts and where it finds its basis in the love of Christ. Paul's later commands in the last half of the letter to be completely humble to put off falsehood, to be kind and compassionate, to imitate God. For wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives, for children to obey their parents. All of this finds its basis and foundation in grasping more and more how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And lest we at the end of all of this still look to ourselves, Remember what Paul is praying for. That the Father might send His Spirit to strengthen us so that His Son might dwell in our hearts. So this is the work and power of God and Him alone. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not 
From yourselves it is a gift of God. And with that we come to the second and last point where Paul brings praise for the one who strengthens. If we read verses 14 through 19, as Paul telling the Ephesians about his prayers on their behalf, then now in verse 20 he breaks out in an actual prayer of praise. Praise to the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we can ask or think. Do we register what Paul says here? Because still ringing in our ears is Paul's prayer that we would begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love. That we would even be filled with the very fullness of God to be perfect and holy as He is. How can we pray those things? How can we grasp what is not measurable and know what is not knowable? Well, it's because we're praying to the One who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. It was a big prayer by Paul in verses 14 through 19, but he is praying to an even bigger God. This prayer only scratches the surface of what God can do. Because whatever you can imagine or think of or ask, God can do far, far more. Exceedingly, abundantly so. That word used for God being able to is actually the same word as power or might, which is a theme that comes up often in the letter to the Ephesians. Earlier in the letter, Paul prayed that his readers would understand the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe. And Paul then shows how God used that power to raise Christ from the dead and seat him at his right hand. And that he uses the same power to raise us and unify us with Christ. And even though Paul recognized earlier in the chapter, which we read, that he was less than the least of all God's believers, Paul yet saw that his ministry was a demonstration of God's great power. And earlier in our text, Paul prays that God would strengthen his people with power to grasp Christ's great love for them. So who can grant all this power? The God who is and has infinite power. The one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. So what's all this power for? Verse 20, all this power is at work in us. Surely if we reflect on our lives and on ourselves, we would not describe ourselves as powerful, but rather as weak. In fact, if we were as humble as Paul was, we would take a close look at ourselves and say with him that we are the very least of all God's people. So what a comfort it is that to the worst of sinners... To his rebellious children, God is working his infinite power in us. Yes, the Trinity is at work in us, transforming our hearts, making us alive, filling us up to the measure of all the fullness of God until we reach perfection. He's at work in us to make us mature, to bring us to love, to make us holy and perfect. How is this all possible? 
Why such an infinite power at work in such weakness? Why would a holy and perfect God do that? Well, it's because Christ gave it all up. He gave up his power and authority and came down to earth in the weakness of human flesh. And then he suffered in that flesh all his life, even too weak to carry the cross to Golgotha. Yes, Christ died in that state of weakness, renouncing any claim that he had to his power. That's why. That's why this is all possible. And so God raised him up in power to seat him glorified at his right hand so that he might send his spirit to work that same power in us, to make our hearts a dwelling place for Christ himself. The infinitely powerful Son of God made himself weak that we might be strong. How strong? Strong enough to grasp his love for us. How wide and long and high and deep. He has made us strong enough to show that same love to others. And so Paul rightly finishes this. To this God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. As born again believers risen to life in Christ, this is our calling. In fact, if you peek ahead to chapter 4 verse 1, Paul talks about living a life worthy of the calling you've been called to. Well, the calling is this, to glorify God. And what a privilege that we've been granted to do that with Christ. By putting the church and Christ so close together in this way, in verse 21, Paul is emphasizing the unity that is there. The unity that brings glory to God. The unity between the bride and the bridegroom, the redeemed and the redeemer, the body and its head. So let us praise him. We've been given the privilege of approaching God freely and boldly. But not just so we can petition him and pray to him. But also so that we may freely and praise and glorify him as he deserves. As we continue to grow in our understanding of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. May we also continue to praise God. Praise for the God who, with a love that surpasses knowledge and a power that is without measure. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.